This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Welcome back, everybody. This is Encounter with God here on Faith FM, where we get into our Bible study. Before we do, we have another clue for our quiz. We do indeed. Okay. Liam's going to bring it to us. Jokey. So, clue number four this morning. The river coming out of Eden separated into this many numbers, or this number of rivers. So, the, the one river coming out of the Garden of Eden separated into how many rivers? If you know the answer to that question, give us a call at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or send us a text at 0491-064-669. And if you are indeed the first person in with the correct answer, we will be sending you a copy of Planet Still in Rebellion by George Vanderman. There you go. Okay. Let's uh, get into our Bible study for today and a quick reminder as we do so this Saturday morning between 9.30 and 10.30 small group Bible study with Matt Parra and myself right here on Faith FM Radio. Make sure that you tune in, be a part of it, share it with your friends and your relatives, particularly those who aren't able to uh, live stream at this time. We need to get as many people connected as we can and to stay connected with them. And so live talk back small group Bible study this Saturday morning 9.30 to 10.30 on Faith FM. And the only way to listen to it is on the live broadcast. So if you That's are right. on the delayed broadcast, the best thing to do to get that is download the app, Faith FM Australia, or go online to faithfm.com.au and just click play. Ah, there you go. Very, very good. All right, let's go to Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. We were talking about Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21 yesterday, but there is a portion of this that we did not get to. And we were talking about um, the value of prophecy. We were comparing prophecy to an eyewitness testimony. And Peter was telling us how that prophecy for him was more convincing than his experience of the transfiguration being an eyewitness of the, tra- of the transfiguration of Jesus. And so here, Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, what we're going to talk about today is the process of inspiration. Yeah. So how does inspiration actually happen? Uh, we need to look at thought inspiration versus uh, dictation. And we need to look at some of the different uh, reasons between the two um, as to why, you know, which, which one of those two is the way that the Bible is written. Did God dictate to the Bible writers, the authors of the Bible, word for word, each word that they were to write down? Or did God dictate or, or did God, God share with them information that they then wrote down in their own language, in their own style, in their own manner, but all of it coming from God? Okay, so Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, if you could read that one for us, please, Liam. Indeed. Okay. So it says, oh, mine sort of starts halfway through a sentence. Do you want me all to right. go from the beginning of the sentence? Sure. Why okay, not? from verse 20 then. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from... Uh, ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Okay, so here, the Bi- well, how does the Bible say that uh, the Scripture came to us? 
It says that the scripture came to us from the prophet's own understanding. Oh, sorry, that no scripture came from a prophet's own understanding, but you know they had they were impressed by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what does that suggest to you? Does it suggest that the Bible was dictated word for word, or does it suggest that God inspired the thoughts of the Bible writers? I think he inspired the thoughts. Okay. I, I think he gave an idea, mm-hmm. and the people who wrote it down expanded on the ideas. Oh, uh, And okay. um, it's like, I don't know, the idea of water being good for you. Why is it good for you? So this is what this is this is this is Liam's thoughts on it. What are your thoughts? <laughs> uh, give us give us a call one eight hundred three two four eight four three. Hold that thought, Liam. Yep. Let's go over to Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three. This is another passage that uh, our Bible study is directing us to this morning, and one that we touched on yesterday, but didn't really have time to expand on. And why has Timothy vanished out of my Bible all of a sudden? Here we go, Second Timothy chapter 3, and if you could read for us verse 16. Let's start in verse 16. Thank you, Doki. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Okay, so the Bible uses the word all in this verse. Yes. All scripture. Yes. Doesn't that indicate every word of the Bible? Yeah. Yeah. I still think that what I meant was right. Okay. Like the... the, the... (laughs) I'm giving him a hard time here. So God inspires... He plants the idea in his head. Yes. And by planting the idea, he knows that, that what they're going to come up with is what he wants. So it's it's sort of like when you're at school, a teacher teaches you something and they spend a whole year, a whole sort of portion of a subject talking about this one thing. And then when it comes time for the assessment, they say, you need to write about this. And because they know all this other stuff... It, they then are able to expand on it. Now, I don't know if, if the authors of, of the Bible, they did know about this stuff, or but when God gave them the impression of what they need to write about, that he also gave them the knowledge. But, yeah, that's my analogy. I think it's a good analogy. Um, let's, uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. Matthew 4 and verse 4. Let's let's go a little bit deeper into this one. What have you got for us there, Liam? I'm, I'm almost there. Almost there. I'm in Acts, John, Luke. Yep. Matthew. Matthew. I'm skipped Mark, but Matthew chapter four and verse four and verse four. Okay. Busily flipping pages. There we go. There we go. All right. Oh, one more. Matthew four and verse four. Oh, Very firm, okay. famous right. words by Jesus right here when he's being tempted in the wilderness. Okay. So, but Jesus told him no. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay. And here Jesus is obviously quoting the Bible. 
Yeah, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, all Scripture is inspired by God. Therefore, all Scripture is every word that comes from God. Doesn't that then lead us to dictation? Well, let's go to Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5. Let me read this one for you. Thank you. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield under those that put their trust in him. So doesn't that indicate that every word in the Bible comes directly from God? I, yes, it does, but it comes through a person and they interpret it yes. in a particular way. Okay, I, I appreciate that, and, and I'm playing the devil's advocate here to, uh, and I'm holding strong to, to put you on a to put you on the spot and to get us all thinking this morning. Yes. So every word of scripture is valuable. Yes. This is the, this is the point. But oh, that does not mean that every word was dictated. Yeah. Every word that in the Bible that is in the Bible comes from God. Yes. But that does not mean that the Bible was dictated. Yes. There is a difference between the two. What it does mean is that when the authors of the Bible brought the Bible to us yes. um, through the inspiration of God, God made sure that there were no words in the Bible that were not supposed to be yeah. or were inappropriate to be in the Bible. Yeah. God spoke through them. That's right. Absolutely. And so what you're going to find is that with each one of your different authors of the Bible, they have a recognizable style. Yeah. I, I guess a, another analogy that I can think of for this is I watched um, some prank TV shows where the someone puts a, an earpiece in someone's ear and they say, you have to say everything I say. And you say, you've got to say this specific line. And they say that line... But it's not exactly the same because it's got their own little little spin on it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's I think that's what's happened here, where God has spoken through these people, and what has come out is what God has said, but it's their own version of it essentially. Yeah, that's but it's, right. It's the still the version that God needs. But what God does not allow is the Chinese whisper effect. No. So the Chinese whisper effect works a little bit like this. It's a famous uh, uh, childhood game where everybody sits in a circle and somebody whispers a phrase in somebody's ear and they have to repeat it to the person beside them. And it works its way around the room. And by the time it gets to the other side of the room, it's kind of unintelligible from where it first started. God does not allow that when God speaks to a human being to inspire scripture, what he does allow is them to use their own style and their own words to write that down, but not make mistakes. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so we can trust every word that is in the Bible. Um, Let's go back to where we were. And let's notice a little bit more in depth what we've got taking place here in Second uh, Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one and verse twenty-one, where the Bible says, "If you could just read that one for us again, please, Liam." Yes, indeed. Second uh, Peter chapter one, verse twenty-one. <coughs> Sorry, that's First Peter. I was looking at the wrong Peter. There we go. Okay, First Peter, chapter one, verse twenty-one. Twenty and twenty-one. 2021. Yeah, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Okay, in uh, the King James translation, it says that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Yeah. Okay, and so how do we understand that? There are a number of different ways of understanding. We need to unpack that a little bit because what does it mean It's there's no private interpretation here? It all comes from God. It works a little bit like this. 
When God gives a prophecy, sometimes there is opportunity to be for the for the prophet to be able to interpret the prophecy and to interpret what God is saying. Yeah. God does not allow the prophet to give his own interpretation. Yeah. So for instance, in your you know, some of your prophetic books like your apocalyptic books like Daniel and Revelation, you've got some very, you know, creative prophecies, uh, very fascinating prophecies, highly symbolic prophecies, and what God does not allow you know, let's take Daniel eight, for instance, you have the prophecy of a ram with two horns, followed by a goat with one horn. What God does not allow is for Daniel to come along and to interpret what he saw and write down in his words, you know, I think the interpretation of what I saw is this, 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 and this. Yeah. God doesn't allow that. God comes along and says, no, what the ram symbolizes is the coalition government of the Medes and the Persians. What the, what the, what the goat symbolizes is the Greek empire of Alexander the Great. Yes. Um, and so, and then, and then God gives further identifying characteristics for all of the, you know, interesting prophecies that you have within, you know, symbolic prophecy, to ensure that it is impossible for us, or to try and ensure that it's impossible for us to place a private interpretation on it ourselves. And so, neither the prophet nor ourselves are given the opportunity to make a private interpretation. A private interpretation is basically where you see or hear a prophecy and sit down and think really hard and come up with what you think is the explanation. Yeah, I think it might be this. I think it might be that. I think it might be something else. Uh, That is a very dangerous thing. In fact, it's very dangerous to interpret prophecy. Yeah. Full stop. No one should ever interpret prophecy. Ever. The only person who can ever interpret prophecy is God. Yeah. Um, and whenever we step outside of the scriptures and we don't allow the Bible to interpret itself, that's what we call speculation. Yes. And that is very, very dangerous ground. Yes. Um, we should, and, 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 you know, so often people come and they're like, oh, well, this is your interpretation. Somebody else has another interpretation. And this is where the Bible says, no, there's no private interpretation. The only interpretation that is valid is an interpretation where the Bible interprets itself. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're safe because, you know, you get into speculation, you get into all kinds of creative, interesting, weird, wacky, and way out, um, understandings of scripture. Okay, so the Bible says that no prophecy is of any private interpretation, either by the prophet receiving the message and passing it on to us. And so here's where Peter has said, okay, when they pass it on to us, yes, they are passing it on in their own words, but they are not adding their own interpretation to it. Yeah. Then it continues on from there, and it says, For the prophecy did not come in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit. Yep. And this is key right here. Because the Bible could have said that the Holy Spirit came and dictated to them. It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit came and dictated to them. It says that the Holy Spirit moved them. And so the scriptures are brought to us when uh, when we are moved by the Holy Spirit. Well, the, 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 when, the, when a prophet is moved by the Holy Spirit. It also tells us something about the nature of the authors of the Bible. Yeah. So each one of the authors of the Bible is somebody who has received the gift of prophecy. Mm. Now that's pretty full on, particularly when you consider what we were just studying, 
you know, in the last, you know, in the first quarter of this year, where we were looking at the book of Daniel. And you go to, say, for instance, Daniel chapter 4, which was written by Nebuchadnezzar. You know, and what it does is it places Nebuchadnezzar in the category of a prophet of God. Yeah. Wrap your head around that one. This is a wild kind of a thing to imagine right there because, you know, Moses and, you know, a lot of these guys were like, yeah, of course they were prophets. We understand that. Yeah, but this is a guy that you wouldn't expect to. Absolutely. He's Absolutely. a guy that spent some of his time. He made some very uncertain decisions. He did. Un- and and he, was a, he was a polytheist for most of his life. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's use this then as an example. When you read the book of Daniel, you're going to find that there are two distinct writing styles within the book of Daniel. Uh, you have Daniel's writing style and you have Nebuchadnezzar's writing style. And Nebuchadnezzar's writing style is quite different from Daniel's. It's quite distinct. Yeah. It's only that one chapter. And what is unique about this is that because he was such a massive world figure. Yeah. Unlike the other Bible authors of the Bible, we have a lot of his other writings that are extant as well. Yeah. So you can go to you know British Museum or the Louvre or wherever, and you can find a lot of things that were written by Nebuchadnezzar. You can't find anything else that was written by Moses. No. Or Paul. No. Or Luke or Nehemiah or Ezra. We don't have their writings carved in stone because they weren't big enough and significant enough in the ancient world for their writings to be written down in stone. Yeah. However, when it comes to Nebuchadnezzar, when you are the ruler of a world empire, your writings are going to be carved in stone, carved into baked clay and preserved seemingly for eternity. So what you have here then that you don't have with the other Bible writers is an opportunity to compare writing styles. Okay, we have this written by Nebuchadnezzar in stone. We have this written by Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible. And what we find is that they both have the same writing style, which is very different from Daniel's. Yes. Now, here's the point. If God was dictating, there would only be one writing style. If God dictated each word... There would only be one style of writing found anywhere in the Bible, and that would be God's style. We don't have a lot of God's style of writing because God wrote very, very little of the Bible himself personally. He wrote through prophets, as the Bible says right here. Uh, The most shining example, I guess, and possibly one of the only examples that we have of the writing style of God himself, of course, is the Ten Commandments, because the Ten Commandments were dictated. They were written by the finger of God um, in stone, and so there you get the, the, the writing style of of God himself. But when you read Moses, for instance, and his books, you're going to find that they are distinctly different from, say, Paul. Yeah. You know? And when you read Paul's writing, you're going to find them distinctly different from well look at your four your four if you look at your four gospel writers, all distinct very, styles. Very different and very different. Four different pictures of Jesus yeah. right there. Your four, your, your, sorry, your five epistle writers are even greater in their contrast to each other. You know, you contrast, say, for instance, Paul, who is a deep theologian, with John, who writes very simply, with Jude, who just comes out swinging. You've got, you know, very, very different styles within the Bible. And this is, this is because... 
God is working through human beings. He is inspiring human beings rather than inspiring their words. Okay, so let's go over to 2 Timothy now, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Uh, Let's dig a little bit more into this passage here. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. We've got some more things that we need to discover here. Read that verse 16 for us again. Okay, verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Wow, your modern translation has a lot more words in it than my old one does. <laughs> um, mine just simply says, good for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. There you go. Sums it up very, very neatly. This is Chelsea Moon with the Franz Brothers. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled?
Chelsea Moon with the Franz Brothers. How firm a foundation. You're listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. We are looking at a number of very interesting passages of the Bible. Indeed. Uh, we're looking at the nature of inspiration right here. And I just want to read this to you from the uh, King James Version. So this is Second Timothy chapter 3. Uh, it's one of my, um, I think it's a very significant passage where it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Yes, indeed. Okay, so if all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, what about then if one of the Bible writers copies from somebody else? Well, that I don't think would be directly from God, would it? That's a very interesting question. Because there are a number of examples in the Bible where Bible writers did copy from somebody else. Let me share a couple with you. So in Joshua uh, chapter 10 and verse 13, the Bible says, And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed where it was, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So he's copied it straight out of the book of Jasher. Where's the book of Jasher? Uh, somewhere buried deep beneath the earth and rotted away back into dust a long time ago. Oh, so it's not in the Bible? No. Um, you won't find the book of Jasher anywhere in the Bible. Okay, but here you've got a situation where you have uh, the author of Joshua, uh, who is presumably at this point is Joshua, yep. quoting from another book, Yes, uh, a historical source of the time. Yes. Then if you go over to Luke, let's go over to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we will look at another. There's, there's quite a few of these examples in the Bible, actually, but we'll, we'll, we'll look at this one real quick. Tell me when you get there. See? I'm there. Okay, Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Okay. So it says, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitnesses. The eye, they used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honourable Theophilus. Okay, so here you've got a situation where Luke is going to write uh, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He's actually the, the primary author of the New Testament. He writes more, than, more, more in the New Testament than anybody else. And his method of doing so is research. Mm. He doesn't state here that, hey, I sat down one day and the Holy Spirit inspired me, so I just wrote all this stuff down. He says, I researched it. Yes. I spoke to eyewitnesses. I wrote down what I heard. I looked at, you know, there's a whole bunch of other people who have written stuff about this, and I have compiled it all together. Yes. It was, a, so, it was very doctor-esque, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, very doctor-esque. So does that then mean that the book of Luke and the book of Acts, you know, the, the primary author of the Old Testament is not inspired because he's copying from other people's material? Oh, I've got Liam thinking here. Got the got the cogs turning over. In fact, you've got places in the Bible where Paul quotes from uninspired sources. Right. So Luke could be quoting from inspired sources of the time. We don't know. Well, I but think, we know that Paul quotes from uninspired sources. I think again, we got to look at the purpose of why Luke wrote and who he was writing to. Okay. And I, I don't, I, I don't think if he had have been. Di- I, okay, here's what I think. I think he was indirectly inspired by God. 
indirectly. Yes. Okay. So God used other people to to use. All right, let me make it simple for you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm getting Liam's, Liam's, Liam's struggling here at the moment. Um, when a, when a, an author writes a passage of the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and they use outside sources, all they are doing is bringing those portions of those outside sources from uninspiration into inspiration. Yes. Okay, so basically, you know, you might re- sit down and write a book of history and it's Liam's book, right? Yeah. Liam wrote it. It's Liam's research. It's Liam's history. Yeah. Let's say that then somebody who is a prophet comes along and quotes from your book in a portion of Scripture. Right. That does not make your book on history inspired, but that makes then that passage that they quoted a part of the inspired material of their book because theirs is the one that is inspired. So they have brought that portion out of uninspiration into inspiration because uh, you know the Holy Spirit is speaking to them and this is material that is appropriate to use. Right. Okay. Yeah. So this is there is not a problem. There's no problem or difficulty with people, you know, um, as far as inspiration goes in copying from um, outside uh, sources. Okay. So let's go over to a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 18. Deuteronomy. So that's the uh, fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 18. Oh, no, yeah, almost. Yeah. Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 18. 18. Verse 18. Okay, it says, oh, do you want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. There we go. Oh, okay. Uh, chapter 18, verse 18 says, I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell the people Everything I command him. Okay, so here the Bible, and this is an interesting one because some people look at this one and say, ah, you see, Moses was dictated to because uh, God was putting his words in his mouth. Yes. But Moses has a very distinct style of writing. It's very different from the other Bible writers. And what you've got here is, um, you know, God is speaking through Moses rather than dictating through Moses. Now, of course, when it comes to the Ten Commandments, this was dictated from God. Yep. And Moses was the person who did communicate that. Um, and so that is a different scenario. Uh, let's go to well, let's go to Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. Jumping all over the place. We are. Morning, we have a Bible study this morning. Romans indeed. 15 and verse 4 as we look at the nature of inspiration. And so basically to summarize, what we've discovered is that the Bible was inspired through thought inspiration. Yep. And God ensured that all of the words that are in the Bible were appropriate so that every word of Scripture is useful for us. Okay, so Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, please, Liam. It says, Such things were written... Uh, sorry, such such things were written in the Scriptures long ago to teach us, and the Scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promise to, for God's promises to be fulfilled. Okay, so we've got um, all of these things that are given to us in Scripture, and um, it was written for our instruction and encouragement so that we can have what? Fulfillment. So that we can um, be encouraged as, as we wait patiently. 
All right. So do you think that's relevant at the moment right now during coronavirus? Pa- uh, not at all. Oh, of course not. No, I think so that we certainly can have patience right now. and encouragement and hope. 100% it definitely is. Yeah. And I'll guarantee to anybody who's listening right now, if you're struggling with, you know, cabin fever or whatever it might be as a result of being in lockdown, uh, with this pandemic raging around us and you know, a lot of negative things taking place in the news, yes. I will guarantee that if you spend your time in the Word of God, it will bring healing to you. Indeed. I'm certainly thankful that I get to wake up each morning and still come to work and study the Bible and study it with everyone around listening. Yes. And, yeah, I, I can't. Because that's where we find hope. Yeah, that's it. You know, when you've read the end of the book, you know how it ends. I've read the end of the book. I know how it ends. And it's good ending. It is. And so you have a difficult time like this where you're really struggling. And when you notice the promises of God, you find that the promises of God are just going to bring joy. Um, joy to each one of us in our uh, in, in, in our world. And that's what we like to try and bring to each one of you because we love you guys. You are our, our listeners and we appreciate you joining us each morning right here. Uh, on the breakfast show and so we like to bring a bit of encouragement from the word of God Um, and you know this is why God says that every word is inspired and a blessing to all of us this is uh, Ellie Holcomb um, with Anchor of Hope you're listening to the breakfast show Marvelous wonderful infinite God Author of all that is good Faithful provider and giver of life Source of all power and love Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise Refuge of strength to the end Righteous Redeemer and mighty to save He's the Compassionate, merciful God Radiant, holy delight Beautiful Father, victorious Son Source of unchangeable light Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise Refuge of strength to the end Righteous redeemer Save, he's the anchor of hope for the 
Our team here at Faith FM want to encourage you to share God's love with those around you, to stay positive and to stay connected in this virus season. Check on your neighbours, especially elderly neighbours, as they may be unable to visit the shops or see family due to quarantines. A note under the door or a letter in the mailbox works too if you want to maintain your distance. Little things like this make a huge difference to someone who might be struggling to get by. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.
Welcome back to The Breakfast Show. That there is Shane Shane with Take Over. We have our final clue for the quiz this morning. I'll just uh, give that out quickly. The number of men Nebuchadnezzar saw walking around in the fiery furnace. If you know how many that was, and you should know because we studied it in the first quarter of this year, 1-800-324-843 is the number to, give us, number to call or text us on 491 Okay, so moving on with today's show, we're now up to our question of the daytime. Very topical question, question that has come day. in. All right, so it is, is coronavirus lockdown an attack on religious liberty? Okay, so we've had this come through from a number of listeners uh, who feel that they should be able to continue worshipping in their church and that that is their religious right, that is their religious liberty to do so. Uh, particularly for people who listen online in the United States. Now, the, this, is, this is very much an expression of American culture where they hold their liberties very, very dearly and defend them very, very strongly for the most part. And so as a result of that, you've got people standing up and saying, no, this is my, this is my right, this is my freedom, this is my liberty, and it is being attacked, and so I have the right to go to church and worship uh, whenever and wherever I feel like. First of all, there are a number of points to make here. This is not a targeted attack. This, is not, this virus has not been created for the purpose of attacking religious liberty. You don't create something to attack religious liberty that attacks everybody and destroys everybody at the same time. Yeah. In fact, the virus has made religion more relevant than it has ever been before. It has not discriminated at all. It has not discriminated, but it has made religion more relevant. You have more people who are interested in religion right now than have ever been interested in in religion before and at the same time the biggest attack has not been on religion it's been on business yeah business is what is really struggling and why would you destroy your economy to attack one portion of society so that's the first thing the fa- the second thing we need to note is that the bible does speak about an attack on religious liberty at the end of time yes and this is not it No. The reason that we know that this is not it, this is not an apocalyptic attack, is because how it does affect the various churches. So the church that is most affected by the coronavirus attack um, are churches like, or particularly the Roman Catholic Church is one of the ones that is most affected. And let me explain why. Within the Roman Catholic Church, salvation, and and those of you Roman Catholics will understand this, salvation is found through the sacraments. Mm-hmm. And during the coronavirus pandemic, those sacraments are unavailable to you. So if you wanted to build an argument that it was a matter of conscience that you were able to continue going to church, 
then the Roman Catholics would have the strongest argument and your more modern evangelical churches, uh, your Adventist church like we go to, so for instance, um, would have a very, very weak argument because you know we believe in the priesthood of all believers yeah. and in a, in a court of law they could simply stand up and say, well, if you believe in the priesthood of all believers, why can't you worship at home? Absolutely. So this is not an apocalyptic end-time attack. Of course, then uh, the biggest religion we have in Australia, um, and our producer was just pointing this out, which is a very, very good point, um, the largest religion in Australia has received the most attacks, of course, is the religion of sport. Yes, which has been entirely closed down. Why do you close down you know, that religion just so that you can attack other religions? For the safety of other people. Um, and so this is not targeted attack on religious liberty. Does it mean that... Am I saying that this event won't be used to create precedents that may be used in the future? Mm. I don't know the answer to that question. Yes. I do find governments, whenever there is a crisis, they do kind of use every opportunity they can to restrict liberty. Yep. We saw what happened during 9-11 yep. and how dramatically that affected particularly the United States and large portions of their constitution that were pushed aside because people were afraid. Yeah. Now you've got an event where more people have died than 9-11 in the United States, more people have died in the United States than Pearl Harbor. I think more than those two combined we're getting close towards now, those two events combined. And so you could see this event being used to place restrictions that will become a part of apocalyptic prophecy in the future. That's a question we don't know the answer to yet, but it will definitely be interesting to watch and follow and see exactly what takes place as time progresses. I heard the story of Jesus Sounded like music in my ear
You're listening to Andrew Crouch with It's Not Just a Story. This is The Breakfast Show. We've come to the end of our show, which is super sad for us. We love your company here every morning. We look forward to you joining us as we get stuck into the Bible and current world events together. But right now, we're going to give something away to the first caller through entirely for free. Liam, what are we giving away today? This morning, we are giving away a book by Doug Batchelor called Should Christians Keep the Jewish Feasts? A growing number of sincere believers are asking this question. After all, Jesus was Jewish. All the apostles were Jewish. The prophecies that pointed to Jesus, the, the, prophecy, the prophecies that are pointing to Jesus, are all from the Jewish Bible. So, yeah, it asks, it answers that question. Okay, so this is very uh, topical right now because you know Passover is coming up. There are quite a few Christians who keep Passover. Is this something that should be happening or should not be happening? Doug Batchelor has the answers for you from the Bible, so give us a call right now. Be the first caller through on 1-800-324-843 to find out whether or not this is something Christians should participate in or contact us via 0491-064-669. Uh, of course, coming up after uh, after this um, I think we have John Bradshaw coming up after the uh, after the program this morning. But we do want to remind you all to tune in. Make sure you tune in between 5 and 5.30 today, depending on where you are located in Australia, to catch the brand new, for the very first day ever, live show right across national live show today coming out of Adelaide. And we wish those guys all the best. Let's talk faith, live faith, act faith, and let's all grow strong in Jesus Christ today. Over me, oh, his eyes.